in glory. Boy, I feel tall. I don't have that feeling very often, you know. <laughs> Amen. Glory. But uh, it's good to be here this morning. And, and it's a privilege to be here. I apologize for the mix-up in my schedule last time. And uh, that was totally my fault. And I, I appreciate your mercy and grace at all of that. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. I actually want to deal with chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And, uh, but I want to read First Peter chapter... 3 verse 18. While you're turning there, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God is all sufficient? <laughs> all sufficient. Do you believe that He's all sufficient in everything? Eh? You ever worry? <laughs> I tell you, do you ever get rattled about some situations and circumstances that come up? Yeah. Man, I tell you, I faced it this week, already this week. And this book came alive to me this week. Amen. All right. Listen, God is all sufficient in everything. Let's read First Peter chapter three, verse eighteen, and then we'll look at a couple of verses out of James, and then get to chapter four. For Christ, who hath, who hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need you. And Lord, you know each heart. You know what is needed. You know the day in which we live and all the details of it. You know what lies ahead of us. You know what is behind us. God, I pray that you would speak to us in such a way this morning that the Holy Spirit of God would accomplish his will, not just in the moment, but in the days ahead, as you'd give us days. We pray that your name would be glorified, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over to James, James chapter 1, James chapter 1, just briefly there, and we won't expound on this, but it ties right in with, with what we want to look at today, and, and I want to focus in on one, one matter and <clears throat> there, but James chapter 1, in verse number 1, it says, James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. Right, we won't expound on that. Most of us here, we know what that is talking about, at least the, the uh, basics of that anyway, uh, this morning. But he says, My brother, encounter it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith... You ever have your faith tried? <laughs> I remember a number of years ago... And uh, I was challenged with something, we won't get into the details, but I said, Lord, would you break me? This was way back in the 80s. I said, Lord, would you break me? And boy, I'll tell you, it took me through five steps. And the last one went right to the very core of my faith. And then I began <laughs> to rely on God like I never had before. He prepared me for the next ministry. All right? And the next step in my life. And he says, but it says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh what? 
patience. That word patience means to bear up under, to, to stay and remain under the load. Sometimes we get into a trial and I say, Lord, get me out of here. I want to get out of here right now. <laughs> hear about the guy that prayed for patience? He says, Lord, give me patience and give it to me right now. <laughs> Doesn't quite work that way, does it? All right, listen. And so it's bearing up under that load, verse number four. But let patience have her perfect work. That patients have her perfect work, that she may be perfect, matured in the faith, as it were, perfect and what? Entire, wanting nothing. That doesn't mean material wants. Although God will supply all our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Amen? But he's dealing with a matter of character. He's dealing with... Our new birth, who we are in Jesus Christ. He is dealing with what he sees us to be. And when he measures us, that we would be without want. Are you with me this morning? He's got a purpose for all those things. Let's turn over to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. And uh, look at uh, verse number 1. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, uh, to the strangers scattered abroad throughout Pontus Pilate, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. I believe, there's a Greek Jewish content here that he's writing to the readers, and I believe also there's some Greek content in this as well. <clears throat> but that's beside the point for us this morning. But, the, but I believe that he's, he's writing to Believers, and we know they're born again believers because of verse 2 and chapter 2 and so on. Uh, I believe he's writing to born again believers uh, who ha- are under persecution. They're living, they're living during the days of Nero. Right? And then there's a fiery trial, chapter 4, verse 12, that the, is about to, to overtake them. And, and I think Peter kind of sees that coming. In fact, he's coming to the end of his life soon after he wrote this epistle. And so there's something that was going on in the lives. But they're they're strangers, they're foreigners. And and so they're scattered abroad. And and there might be different reasons there. But one of them, I believe, was because of persecution. And so he's writing to them. And they're strangers, they're sojourners. They're living alongside of those who do not believe. Okay? All right? And they're scattered, okay? And, uh, and so he's concerned about them, all right? And, uh, and so uh, he, he's dealing with the matter of suffering. And he says it's better to suffer for being righteous than to suffer for doing that which is wrong, right? Okay? He goes into that whole matter in this epistle. And so he's dealing with unjust treatment. Are you with me this morning? Let's go back to chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Now, this deals with the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. Okay? All right? He died for us in our place, on our behalf, all of these things. And that's a theme throughout his epistle. Okay, all right. And then he goes on into the matter of our victory in Jesus Christ in the remaining verses of chapter 3. But then in chapter 4, he deals with the separated life. The separated life. Title of the message here 
uh, this morning. And, and, so, and so, you know, uh, there's been all kinds of ideas about separation and so on, but Jesus explains that quite clearly in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, and in particular verses 11 through 15 there, and uh, he prays that we would not be taken out of the world, but that we would be kept from the evil. And so wouldn't it be just great to get saved and go to heaven just like that? Boy, it's all over, man. <laughs> Woo! Amen. <laughs> but it doesn't work that way. There's a couple of reasons why he wants us to stay here. One of those is to win the loss for Jesus Christ. The other, he wants to mature us in our character. Eh? And we'd be more like Christ. Okay? And there's a purpose for that. And to sum that up is that we might win the loss of Jesus Christ. Okay? Are you with me this morning? All right. And so as he gets into the chapter 4 there, and, uh, and uh, uh, verses 1 through 11, I believe he's, you know, I've titled this the, the, uh, uh, the separated life. And verses 1 through 6, we are to live a separated life because we belong to a new crowd. Okay? We belong to a new crowd. Okay. Now listen, these people are suffering at the hands of sinful, wicked men because they named the name of Christ. All right? They are called Christians, and the world doesn't like that. Are you with me? All right? So sometimes it's easy to cave into the pressure. <laughs> And since they were scattered abroad, living next door to the Gentiles, why not just let the standard down? <laughs> Listen, I'm not talking about petty standards, which some of them are pretty good. Okay, I'm talking about the standard of Christian character. And we are to be matured to the measure of Christ, Ephesians chapter 4. He's the standard. All right? So, and so <clears throat> we are to uh, be measured according to him. We belong to a new crowd. And in verse number one, the first phrase there, he cites Christ as the example. Okay? When he came into this earth, you know, he didn't become a sinner. Amen? God forbid the thought. He was sinless, the sinless Lamb of God. And he died on our behalf for our sins and paid that sin debt in full. Okay? Look at this. For as much then, and it goes back to the previous context, as Christ hath suffered for us, okay? his substitutionary atonement. All right? He suffered for us. But what did Jesus go through when he, and his journey to the cross? <laughs> and even there on Golgotha's hill. He suffered at the hands of sinful men, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, substitutionary atonement, but he suffered, listen, he suffered unjustly. So having the substitutionary atonement as a theme throughout Peter, look back with me there uh, to chapter 2, verse 21. Chapter 2, verse 21. Right? Listen, look at this. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us. Right? Substitutionary atonement. Leaving us an example 
that we should follow in his steps. Now, we know that Jesus is more than just an example. He's God manifest in the flesh. Amen? He's our, our Redeemer. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. He's God the Son. But as he walked upon the face of this, this earth and his journey to the cross of Calvary to be our substitute there on that cross, he set an example that we should follow in his steps. And what was that? He suffered unjustly. In that whole context there, which we don't have time to look at here to this morning, he's dealing with a matter of suffering, and he brings a whole lot of things into the context, which is really, really insightful. Amen. It's the Holy Spirit of God speaking through the Apostle Peter. And, uh, and he says, he sets the example and how he is to respond to unjust treatment. All right? Listen, and he goes there, that we should follow in his steps. And look at this, verse 22, who did no sin, talking about the sinlessness of Jesus Christ, neither was there guile found in his mouth. You ever suffer unjustly? Boy, this came a lot <coughs> to me this week. And a few of us had our characters assassinated. And uh, it was posted. And man, I had to pray through it. First thing that... that hit me was anger. Boy, <laughs> you know, wring this guy's neck. <laughs> Boy, the Lord got a hold of my heart. I'd been preaching through this. Just preached from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. We won't get into the whole message there. I did that last couple of Sundays. But listen, what did Jesus do? How did he respond to unfair treatment, unjust. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and there it goes on with that other context there, and, and he did righteously. There's a whole lot of things there we don't have time to look at, but look at that down through verse 24 there. What a marvelous passage. And then he, he closes that particular chapter with verse 25, which is a huge blessing to us, amen. And, uh, but uh, you can look at that at a, at a later time. And so the readers were exhorted here. Look at this in chapter 4, verse 1. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us. The focus in that phrase is on Jesus Christ. Then he shifts his focus to the born-again believers he's writing to. Look at this. In, uh, he suffered in the flesh, and he says, arm yourselves. He's talking to you and I, and he's talking to his readers there that he wrote to as directed by the Holy Spirit of God. Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind and so we're to have the mind of Christ. Eh, I remember a little story that, that, uh, <clears throat> that our kids used to listen to. We used to have these little, little tiny records, you know, 45s. Anybody know what those are? <laughs> we had cassette tapes and stuff, you know. And you don't even know what those are. <laughs> Some of you, maybe. But anyway, you know, our kids used to listen to those things. And one little story was, you know, where this, this uh, boy was getting, getting treated unjustly at school. And, and the Sunday school teacher <clears throat> was uh, saying, uh, you know, <clears throat> Uh, what, he, what a person could do to their enemies. And she was teaching from uh, that verse that says, love your enemies. And so, boy, he was thinking about all kinds of things where he could retaliate and get even, take out vengeance, amen. Remember that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. But he was thinking about all these things, and the teacher, teacher said, he said, well, you know what you can do to your enemy? You can love your enemy. 
And he says, boy, I must not think like God thinks. <laughs> but isn't that true of us? First thought, I'm wring that guy's neck. <laughs> oh, how does God think? And so it says, arm yourselves. Listen, we are in a, listen, we are not fighting against flesh and blood. We are in a spiritual battle, fighting against the old devil and his cohorts, amen? Listen, it is a spiritual battle. And so he says, arm yourselves. What do we do? We arm ourselves with the mind of Christ. Remember that Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, let this mind, there's a whole context there, but let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I don't think so good sometimes, all the time. I need to think like Christ thinks. My mind doesn't think the thoughts of God. I need the mind of Christ so I can think right. And sometimes when you get into a volatile uh, situation where it begins to boil, I'll tell you, that's when you really need to bow your knees and bow your heart before God and pray through it. So I can think like God thinks. Amen? The context of the previous chapter is still dealing with the matter of, of chapter 3, verse 17, where it says, For it is better if the will of God be so. I wish we could pick up on that, but we don't have time. Uh, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. And so he's talking about suffering unjustly. Are you with me this morning? Uh-huh. <clears throat> And so this last phrase is referring to the born-again believer. And the idea here, it says, it goes on to say, uh, for that he hath suffered in the flesh, hath ceased from sin. And so it's not, not that we are talking about sinless perfection here. He's not dealing with the matter of sinless perfection. But the fact of the matter is we've been created anew in Christ Jesus unto good works. Uh, we are a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We're different. We've been changed. And as Peter talks about, we've been born again by the word of God. Amen. Listen, we've been, and then he goes on, Titus chapter 3, verse 5, we've been regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God. And we have the indwelling Holy Spirit of God in us. We're different. We're not the same we used to be. And that's what he's talking here. You're different now. And it wasn't your reformation abilities or mine. Amen. It was the power of God, the power of the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. We're different because we've been born again by the Spirit of God. I still live in this flesh, and guess what? My flesh, is it goes contrary to the Holy Spirit of God, and I need to submit and surrender to the Holy Spirit of God. Galatians chapter 5 teaches us that, so that I can walk as He walked and respond as he responded. And so so he set the example there. And and, uh, so then he goes on in in verses 2 and 3 and deals with our past. And and, uh, I won't take time to expound on all of this. But look at verse 2. That ye no longer should live the rest of the time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. We've been changed. We have a new direction now. Amen? In fact, we've got 
<laughs> such a, we've, we've got a new will, and that's the will of God instead of the will of man. Okay, all right. In verse number three, for in time past of our life may suffice us to uh, wrought the will of the Gentiles. There's the contrast there. When ye walked in lasciviousness, uh, lust, excessive wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. This, this, (laughs) there's, I won't take time to expound on all those words there, but look those up and make sure you know and understand with them. Uh, there, but it deals, it seems to be dealing with, with the culture of the day and the religious activity of the Gentiles. And they would, they would take it out into the streets, and, and, and they would get so rowdy that it would even come to the point of illegal activity. One thing I will deal with, and uh, Pastor White can help me if I'm wrong here, but excessive wine, okay, comes from two Greek words. One for wine and the other for bubbling over. So my understanding of this is not the quantity of wine digested, but the quality of the wine digested. Are you with me? It deals with alcohol. Over and over in the news, we have heard that there are so many things that have been carried out into the streets that are fueled by alcohol, and they even use that phrase. This week, (laughs) after I preached on this chapter, there was one that attacked the character of people I love and posted it, and it was fueled by alcohol and drugs. Boy, it was through the night early this morning where God gave answer and I was able to communicate in a loving way to the person who's guilty of doing that. Somebody sought me counsel early in this morning. I said, listen, we can't drive this person from Christ. We need to win them. And they need to see Christ in us, the hope of glory. All right? But all these things, and Jesus suffered immensely at the hands of wicked men. The holy God walking in in the midst of humanity that hated him and treated him unjustly. And then in verse number four there, we we continue on there. uh, That, uh, By the way, before I go on to that, remember what it says there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. Verse 10 lists a number of sins. And it's really interesting to do a word study on all those things. It's eye-opening. And then verse 11, he says, and such were some of you. Why would God love me? You know, I never got involved in a lot of things that I was saved at a young age. But I know what I could have done. I know what my potential of sin was. All I have to do is look at my flesh and I can say, wow, boy, Lord, you, I didn't, boy, it took just as much grace to save me at the age of five as, as it did. And it did my friend who was given to alcohol and drugs and finally came to know Christ as a savior. Right? Forgiven. 
And he says, and such were some of you, but ye are washed. <laughs> but ye are sanctified. <laughs> we have forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have cleansing. But ye are sanctified. Uh, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. Oh, I tell you, there's a sermon in every one of those phrases. So the point is here, in, in our minds, we need to close the chapter on our past life and say, that's done. I'm not going back there. Amen? Hey, I have a new life, and it's in Jesus Christ. It's his life flowing through me that others need to see. All right? And so I need to close that chapter. I need to yield to the Holy Spirit of God. I need to walk in such a way as Jesus gave us the example that others can see the reality of a life-changing gospel, that others can see Christ in me, the hope of glory, so that others can come to a realization that Jesus, the just, died for them, the unjust, that they might be brought to God and forgiven and cleansed become a part of the family of God. Amen? So I need to close the chapter. Verses 4 through 6, we won't take time, but we'll go through this real quickly, but there's the just judge in verses 4 through 6 there. Uh, wherein they think it strange that you uh, run not with them, that the excessive riot is speaking evil of you. You know, they, they just don't understand why you don't go, keep going along with them. I've dealt with people, you know, that get saved older in life, and, and their friends change, and, and, they just, and, and their friends just can't understand it. The situation I had to deal with this week, I had to say, but listen, that individual doesn't understand what it means to be a Christian as they attack Christians in their rants. They don't understand. And you can't expect them to understand until they get saved. They need the gospel. And sometimes they get so bent out of shape that they need to see it before you can tell it. Amen? And so our life needs to exemplify the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, and so, he's a, he's so, he's so don't think it's strange, you know, that when they, they can't understand why you're not running with them. And, uh, and then don't think it's strange if they speak evil of you. We'll skim through some of these things. Uh, and that word comes from the word blasphemy, all of which means to blaspheme. It means to castigate your character. person I had to deal with in early early mornings, the hour, he said, but this is, I, they don't understand what they're doing. I says, remember what Jesus said on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't understand the false <laughs> verbalisms <laughs> that they're saying, that, that is coming out of their mouth, the accusations. They don't understand what they're saying. And it's not for you and I just to create a defense for us. It's to create, to, to, to give them an understanding by living that life before them so that they can see Christ. Because he's the answer. It's not our argument. It's really not a contest between them and us. <laughs> They're fighting against the Holy Spirit of God and brought up under conviction. Amen. Something's happening. 
Rejoice in that and set a good example before them, even though they falsely accuse you. Amen? All right? And so he's a just judge. By the way, God keeps good books. Uh-huh. There's admonition in that. But I'll tell you, there's a lot of comfort too. Uh-huh. And, and one guy says, well, we're not perfect. I said, no, we're not. But God is perfecting us. Trial of your faith worketh patience. Let patience have her perfect work, that she may be entire, wanting nothing. All right? He's working on us. Okay? All right? And so, and so all will give account to the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and they will stand before him, and, and every person, will, saved or not, will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So let God judge. Give them what they need. Show them the love of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right? And, uh, um, um, and so, uh, just reading these verses real quick, but uh, and wherein uh, they think it's strange that, they, that uh, ye uh, run not with them uh, to the same excess of riot speaking evil of you. By the way, they just keep, uh, the idea of this is an action, it's continued action. They just can't let it go. Boy, I tell you, that wears on a person. Unless you rely upon the grace of God and understand what's going on, see what God sees. Think what God thinks. Try and understand. God's working on that person. That's why they're so agitated. Okay? Listen. Listen. <clears throat> who shall give an account unto them who is ready to judge the quick and the dead? Uh, uh, for for this cause was the gospel preached also unto them uh, that are dead, that, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Man's going to judge us. There's a lot more here than what I have time to bring out, and uh, we'll leave it for others to do that. But listen, <clears throat> we can trust God because he's all-sufficient. Man, when I get rattled in a situation, when I get set off the steps that I'm supposed to be on, I have to go before God and say, Lord, I need you to bring me back. So I can handle this situation. By the way, in James, at first we didn't read uh, that talks about if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He'll give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Well, I'll tell you, when we deal with situations in this world, and whatever it might be, we always need the wisdom of God, and we don't think like God thinks, so we need his wisdom. Man, I'll tell you what a marvel it is when that wisdom comes. And, and then you shout glory. Thank you, Lord, for intervening. Thank you for, for pulling the reins in on my flesh and letting the Spirit of God have his way. Amen? All right. And then verse 7 deals with a new conduct. A new conduct. Eh? But the end of all things is at hand. This word is... It doesn't come from a word, eschatos. It, it, it's a different word here. And, and so it's sort of hard to understand, I guess. But, but Paul is ta- or Peter, pardon me, is talking about a specific end. 
And some think it to be, you know, the end of one's life. And praise God, when we see Christ, it'll all be worth it. Amen. It'll be worth it all, as the song goes. But it might be relating to other things that were very much happening right then and there. But I had this thought, and I don't know if this is what Peter was teaching or the Holy Spirit of God was teaching, but sometimes the end of what we call normal ceases to be. When these people were scattered, some lost houses, homes, had to take up a new dwelling, separated from friends. There's a lot of other things that are implied in the epistle of Peter, which was going on. I'll let you mind those things out. But, But things really got rough for them. And what was, was no more. And there was a fiery trial yet to overtake them. And that generation, that group of people right there, that, and Peter wanted them, the Holy Spirit of God wanted them to be ready and prepared that they responded to those things in a Christ-like manner. That he would be glorified and that his name would not be slighted in any way. Right. It says the end of all things, uh, uh, verse 7, but the end of all things is at hand. And so he gives a list of things. Be therefore short, uh, uh, sober. By the way, that end of all things, I think it tells us that the time is short. One principle that we can see. We don't have time to, to consider this for a future time. It's now. All right? It's now. Then he says, be sober. All right? He says, be therefore sober. And of course, that matter of sobriety is sober thinking. Uh, it deals with soundness of mind. When I get rattled, I don't have a sound mind. When I get angry, I don't have a sound mind. When I think like my flesh wants to think, I don't have a sound mind. When the person that, that ranted against us, fueled by alcohol, possibly drugs, I don't know, and the th- things that came out of his mouth, posted, he wasn't thinking like he would have normally have thought. We need the mind of Christ. We need a sound mind. And so, and so uh, the only way we can have a sound mind is to have the mind of Christ. And we need to saturate our thinking with the precious word of God. Right? That we might think like God thinks. We get so many other things uh, bombarding our way of thinking, and we're influenced by more things than what we realize. We just need to be in the Word of God and let the Word of God saturate our heart, our minds, our thinking, and govern our thoughts. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, you remember that verse? It says, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, 
don't think it's strange when they speak evil of you and you suffer unjustly. They that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Second right? Timothy 1.7 For God hath not given us a spirit of fear but of power. And that power is not to magnify self but to glorify Christ. But of power <clears throat> anybody know the next phrase? And of love and then the last phrase of a sound mind, but love. The world doesn't really understand the love of God. You know, some people in the world, they get offended and they can't let it go, and they just walk away from any possibility of exercising love. I'm done with you. It's over. I'm not going to have any, any contact with you anymore. Now listen. You know, if God brings us in contact with another person that has hurt us and treated us unjustly, he wants to receive the honor and glory for our response to those things. Of love and a sound mind. You need to have a healthy mind. The only way we have a healthy mind is to have the mind of Christ and be in the Word of God. All right, we could, we could say a lot of things there, but um, but uh, let's move on here. It says, "Watch unto prayer. Watch unto prayer." And uh, do, you, do you realize that that word "watch" deals with a matter of calmness? Boy, I tell you, sometimes when a person's character gets assassinated, the first thing you do is pick up the phone and say, do you know what just happened to me? <laughs> hey, I've been there. Well, what we need to do is hit our knees, yeah. bow our hearts before God, so, Lord, I need grace. I need wisdom. I need to think like you think. Right? Right? And, uh, so, and so prayer, we need to seek God and have God placed into that situation instead of me. Right? And prayer puts God into the work, as Ian Baum said. And prayer will put God into that very situation that we face, that we're struggling with, we think is horrible because we've been treated unjustly. And so Peter says, remember what Christ went through for you? He was treated unjustly. Do you remember what he did? Following his steps. Eh? And so, and so he says, watch under prayer. And then he says in, in the last, uh, in verse number eight there, he deals with a matter of fervent charity, having above all things fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover a multitude of sins. Now, he, I believe that he's directing this matter of, of loving the brethren in particular here, uh, <clears throat> but that's not the to be void of the fact that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten 
Son. So we need to love the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But sometimes, because these people are scattered, you can wane in your love one for another. God says, don't let that happen. He says, he says, he says, above all, and so this is of utmost importance, have fervent charity there. And that matter of, that matter of fervent means to be stretched out. Okay. I don't know, I've watched a little bit of sports in my day, and, and, I've, and uh, in football, I've seen a receiver go down the field, and, and he's right close to the goal line there, you know, and the quarterback uh, lost his ball way up in the air, you know, and, and, uh, and uh, it just throws a, I guess they used to call it a Hail Mary kind of thing or something like that. And so here's this receiver, and he gets around the blockers, and he stretches himself right out to get that ball, <laughs> regardless of how much it might hurt when he hits the ground. <laughs> Stretch right out and say the same thing with a guy going down ice and, it, and, and there's a pass given to him and there's a lead pass and, and he wants to get that puck on that net there and he stretches himself out. He commits himself. We need to have fervent charity to stretch ourselves out. And then a charity there is... is I believe that when we study that out is a love that comes from the Holy Spirit of God, Galatians chapter 5 tells us. It's a love that God has that I can't muster up in myself. How do you love a person like that? You ever say that? God does. I've gone to him many times in many different situations, even this past week. I says, Lord, I need to exercise love here. And I don't have it. I need it from you. Amen? Fervent charity among yourselves. <clears throat> and then he says, he says, uh, Love shall cover a multitude of sins. Eh? Listen. Been different ideas tossed around about that. Let, let me tell you what I believe it means. I don't believe that that means covering up scandal. You know why I don't believe that? Because of Matthew chapter 18. Because of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Remember the scandal that was there in the church of Corinth? You know, there were sins there. And Paul says, I have judged already. You know? And so they were to enact discipline there. And that was to maintain purity of the church, but it was also to reach the erring brother. Are you with me? That's Matthew 18. In fact, you go through that over and over and over again, that he might hear, that he might hear, that he might hear. And the goal of Matthew chapter 18 is that he hears, repents, walks with God. And the goal of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 was that to maintain purity in the church. 
but also to reach the erring brother, which did happen. Second Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes again and says, you need to forgive this brother. You know, he's repented. I've forgiven him. The Lord's forgiven him. And you need to take him back in. Are you with me? And so what does that mean? She'll cover a multitude of sins. Well, when I follow God's plan in something like that with an erring brother, I'm not going to be quick to broadcast things. No way. I'm not going to put it out there in social media. No way. But I want to deal with it like God deals with it for his glory and his purposes. And one of those is to reach that erring brother. And when they come to the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of that sin they've committed, they're forgiven. That sin is washed away. And you don't have to bring it up anymore. It's covered. But it's covered by God's it's covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Same is true with an unsaved person. When they come to Christ, God remembers that sin against them no more. <laughs> Buried in the deepest sea, separated as far as the east is from the west, they've been forgiven. What a glory that will be when we can sit in heaven's glory with our Lord, with that brother who offended us that got right with God. And even though he didn't, may not have, we can still in heaven's glory because it'll all be settled then. But what a joy it'll be when we, those, those sinners that, that, that uh, hurt us in this life and judged us wrongfully in this life came to know Jesus Christ and we can sit in heaven's glory and rejoice in the grace and mercy of God forever. Won't that be a great day? Uh, hey, that's what God want, wants. That's the heart of God. And, and so shall cover a multitude of sins. He says, use hospitality one to another without grudging. And people were being scattered abroad. And so the idea of this was taking in those believers that, that uh, they, even though they might not have known them, uh, take them in and, and help them under, because they were being scattered abroad and so forth. Much more could be said on that and that could be developed. But then it says, as every man hath received the gift, even so ministers the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'm not going to expound on those verses here today, but just bring it to a conclusion. These verses do a matter of service. We are graced by the Spirit of God when we get saved. And he gives to every man severally as he will these graces or these gifts so that we can serve one another. The Bible says by love, serve one another. And we're to, they come in measures and so that we are to use every measure of that grace that God's given us. You know, there's a lesson there even in life that we need to 
to utilize all the grace that God would give us. I might not have as much grace as another pastor to do all the things that another pastor may do, but I need to utilize the grace that God has given me to its fullest. And the Bible says if I humble myself, guess what? I give more grace. Grace upon grace. As we serve the Lord, and as we speak the oracles of God, the word of God, and, and um, so much could be expounded on in that, as we tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ, it's more than just telling them and trying to argue your way to bring them on your side. It is showing them the reality of what you say. This is what Christ did for me. I'm still in this flesh. I still sin. I try not to. The Bible says I'm to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, he's given to me all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's not left any stone unturned, and I'm a partaker of his divine nature, and I need to allow, to let, to surrender, to yield, so that he can live his life through me, that others can see Christ. Because seeing Christ, Randy Hoxie is not going to solve the problem. The problem is sin. They need a savior. They need to see him. And so when we yield to him, and we might think that we're defeated because we suffer unjustly, but God keeps good books. And the Bible tells us in Romans 8, 37, it says, Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. The world might look at us and say, what was the word that was used? Um, I can't remember this, this morning what it was. But anyway, you know, they might say all kinds of evil things that castigate your character. But he's a just judge. And I've been forgiven because he, who is just, took that which I deserved. The person, individuals involved and attacking us as born-again believers need to understand that the just judge died for them. He took what was justly due us. And if they would but believe, they could be forgiven. And they could understand 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. That's what it's all about. When you suffer unjustly, he's trying to reach others for, Christ, for his glory. And we just need to rest. In him, remember who we are in Christ Jesus because of what he's done, not what we've done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you take these.
stammering words and just make sense of them through thy spirit and bring thy word home to each heart and accomplish your will. Thank you, Lord, for what you did for us on the cross of Calvary.